is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. With us today on the show is Tim Daniels, and we will be talking about the intersection of Catholic teachings and public life and the 10th anniversary of Pope Francis. Kim Daniels is the director of the Initiative on Catholic Social Thought and Public Life at Georgetown University. She is a member of the Vatican Dicastery for Communication and the Synod 2021 to 2024 Communications Commission. She is a consultant to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee for Religious Liberty and has advised the USCCB and other Catholic institutions on a broad range of issues where church teachings intersect with public life. Kim is a graduate of the University of Chicago Law School and Princeton University. Welcome to the show, Kim. We're glad to have you. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thanks. Well, the Initiative on Catholic Social Thought and Public Life marks its 10th anniversary this year. What is its purpose and why was it created? The initiative has a threefold mission. And the first is to bring the principles of Catholic social thought, like a commitment to justice and human life and dignity and the common good to public life, to our important conversations that are happening in our often very divided public sphere. Second part of our mission is to, to respond to that division by building bridges across ideological and political and ecclesial lines. And the third is to encourage a new generation of young people to see their faith as an asset uh, in um, their life, in their professional life, in their personal lives. So what we do is a number of things. We have dialogues with a difference, right? We don't just have the same old speeches from people or a panel of the same old experts. We really try to bring in people with different perspectives, both from different backgrounds, different ages, maybe they're academic leaders, but then we also have grassroots leaders and others. We try to have change makers in our conversations. I think about our first dialogue that we hosted when COVID hit. Uh, as soon as COVID hit, we went immediately online and we had a lead. We wanted to see how do we respond to this as Catholics? So we had a leader in public health. We had a theologian we also had a small business owner who was a leader in her Salvadoran community who talked about how it affected her family and her community and her employees and her business. That's the kind of dialogue we host. And we've had over 150 of them since we began 10 years ago. We've reached over 265,000 people around the country and the world now. And so it's an exciting part of what we do. We do a lot of other things as well behind the scenes, working with bishops and with other Catholic leaders and working with young people in particular through our salt and light and Latino leaders gatherings. And you know, the last thing I'll say here is that you know what young people want right before we get immediately when you get together is good food and drink. So we try to bring people together, have a great conversation before our dialogues with young people, have a great conversation with good food and drink afterwards. It's just a way to build community. Mm -hmm. You talk about bringing people from different walks of life together, and you hosted a discussion recently on Catholics and the challenges of democracy. And what I liked about that was that the panelists had a wide range of thoughts and perspectives that they brought uh, kind of from both sides of the spectrum. Out of that question of talking about the challenges of democracy, one of the fundamental questions that I came away asking is, can people of goodwill 
disagree on the best ways in law and practice to achieve the common good? Or is it my way or your way? And, and there is no in between. We see that my way or your way approach so often, don't we, Chris? And I think to my mind, one of the things that Catholics bring to this conversation, this very polarized conversation, is the ability to say that that we can find areas of agreement. And how do we do that? I mean, we certainly, for instance, you talked about our recent dialogue on, on US Catholics and challenges to democracy, where we had people on the panel with very different political views, frankly, who come from backgrounds that are conservative or more progressive. And at the same time, what they all agreed upon was that it's an obligation for us all as Catholics to bring an ideal of civic friendship to our public discussions, right? That it's an, ob it's a, we should model what it's like to engage across difference thoughtfully and respectfully. And that's what dialogue is all about. It's not about achieving a mushy middle. It's not about coming to some kind of least common denominator agreement. It's about bringing our principled perspectives to the conversation trying to find areas where we disagree, engaging with each other across those differences, trying to persuade, but recognizing that the person across the table from us or in conversation with us is someone who is also made in the image and likeness of God, who is someone who is also trying to, to live out their, their best judgment. At the same time, of course, there are boundaries to that, right? We, mm -hmm. we have boundaries that, that inhere in, in our idea of, of what human dignity is all about. And so certainly violence or hatefulness is not something that's a part of a principle dialogue. Right. We've all heard the stories about the fact that Justice Antonin Scalia and Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg were diametrically opposed on just about every question of law that came before the Supreme Court in the United States. But they were good friends. And they got together uh, often in friendship. And so even though they disagreed politically, ideology, judicially, they were able to be with each other as friends. And I think we're missing that. I think we're missing it. And I think that's a terrific example. You know, my background is as a lawyer. And I think of both Justice Scalia and Justice Ginsburg as two of the real intellectual leaders of their different perspectives on jurisprudence. And the fact that they got along, the fact that they were able to be in respectful conversation enriched both of those perspectives, right? When you're engaging with people who bring thoughtful, critical perspective to your views, it can only enrich your understanding and deepen it. And sometimes you'll have your minds changed. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Kim, we're, I, we all know there's a lot of discord in public life in the U.S. these days. Uh, sadly, we see the same divide in the church even these days. But if we go way back to the early days of Christianity, in the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul admonishes the community. He says, whenever someone says, I belong to Paul and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? Shouldn't we all be trying harder just to follow Christ rather than a political or religious ideology? I think that's right. Certainly division is, as you've just said, has always been with us in the church and, and in public life too. And, and again, it's a matter of looking at people across these divides as people who have something to add to the conversation from whom we can all listen. I, you know, Georgetown is a obviously a leading Jesuit institution. And one thing I've learned in my time here is the importance of when you talk about dialogue, um, what that starts in, what it's rooted in is listening. It's very Jesuit understanding of, of dialogue. 
very important Jesuit principle. And it starts from actively really listening to the other person, not to win the debate, but to, but to listen and to learn and to make sure that your perspective is enriched by their own views. Again, I, this is not a matter of coming to a mushy middle. It's a matter of trying to bring all of these principles to the conversation and Catholics have a unique ability to do that. I think of a conversation we had a year ago uh, about the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And in that dialogue, we had uh, Archbishop Boris Gudjak, uh, a leading Ukrainian um, Catholic leader here in the United States. Uh, we also, we had the leader of Caritas Internationalis in Ukraine. Uh, we also had a theologian who comes from the Catholic peace tradition. It was really remarkable at that time, I think, when we all saw the unjust invasion of Ukraine from Russia, to be able to have someone in that conversation who spoke from the Catholic peace tradition and brought that perspective into dialogue with reactions against what was clearly an unjust aggression. And it helped us place our conversation again in the context of the gospel. Um, it helped us place our conversation in a real Catholic context, I think, uh, which is not to take away from the need and the importance of responding to that aggression from Russia, but simply to say that it's important to have those perspectives uh, in tension and hold them in tension in conversation. Yeah, maybe instead of really trying to win the debate, we need to win hearts. Win hearts, exactly. Yeah. I spoke to a political scientist last summer for this show, and I asked if the country was in a healthy place. And he sighed very heavily and said it is not, and that he was worried it could take decades to heal. Would you share that interpretation? Here's what I would say. I, I think that it's just remarkable the kind of division and hostility we see in certain contexts in the United States. I, I think certainly on social media, anybody who is active on social media knows that often it's just a sort of a cycling down the drain towards hostility and anger. Uh, and it, people are not you know, they're, they're not in real life. And so they don't feel the obligation to be their best selves. We also have seen so much hatefulness um, in public life. I think in the last administration, in particular, we saw hatred on racial grounds. We saw hatred on, on um, grounds of, of uh, nativism. And we've seen a lot of anti-Semitism as well. Um, we've seen that in recent years too. So I want to say that that kind of division seems to me to be increasing in public life today, and I don't want to minimize it. Having said that, I think that we've also seen that people in their local lives, um, in their everyday lives, want to move away from this. I think of the midterm elections, for instance, where people who denied the last election, denied that uh, our president, that the current president won the election, that Joe Biden won the election, were pushed back. People who wanted to sort of resist norms of, of democracy were rejected at the polls. And to me, I see that as a return to a certain normalcy, right? A return to um, a kind of a desire to return to the kind of democratic norms and approach to public life that we all hope for. Yeah, definitely. Well, after the break, we're going to talk some more with Kim Daniels about Catholic teachings in public life. And we're even going to also take a look at the upcoming 10th anniversary of Pope Francis. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.com. 
www.archdiocese.org slash accountability. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. During a lacrosse game nearly two years ago, Loyola Blakefield's Peter Lake was struck in the chest with a ball in a game against McDonough. The trauma happened at a crucial time during the cycle of a heartbeat and caused a rare disruption of its rhythm. He was taken by ambulance to an area hospital after receiving emergency care from the trainers and doctors at Loyola's Hardigan Field in Towson. It was determined Lake suffered a sudden arrhythmic disruption caused by a low mild chest wall impact. The incident was similar to what happened to Buffalo Bill's Damar Hamlin, in which he suffered cardiac arrest during a recent Monday night football game against the Cincinnati Bengals. The staff at Loyola Blakefield was prepared for the event and their quick action saved Lake's life. Jeremy Parr, Loyola's assistant director of athletics, walks around with an automated external defibrillator in a backpack, and he was able to use the equipment to resuscitate Lake. Lake, now a 17-year-old junior at Loyola, thanks God he's alive. He's using his experience to raise awareness of the importance of having AEDs on athletic fields. Loyola now has 17 AEDs, three purchased and donated by the Lake family. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matisek. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. We are back on Catholic Review Radio talking with Tim Danley, Director of the Initiative on Catholic Social Thought and Public Life at Georgetown University. Kim, what's the role of Catholics in democracy? And is there a spiritual element to it, or can there be? Absolutely. I think we have a we have a real responsibility to bring our faith to public life. Again, my background is as a as an attorney and I worked on religious liberty issues. I think that that faith enriches public life and that as one of our responsibilities as citizens is to bring the richness of our moral understanding uh, and our faith to our most important civic decisions. I think of how Pope Francis has talked about this and in particular in his encyclical Fratelli Tutti which was really a reflection on how the church is to be in the world today. And his answer to the question is, it should be a home with open doors. It should be not a fortress, um, but we should understand ourselves as a people sharing a common home, a family sharing a common home. And that means we work to engage with others. It means that we work to see the poor in front of us, the poor and vulnerable wherever we find them, right? So that might be um, the unborn child and her mother. It might be the immigrant who is trying to build a better life. Uh, It might be someone suffering from extreme poverty, but the poor vulnerable are who we're called to keep in front of us in our approach to public life, and we are there to engage with those across differences. Is there one key element that you think could help people get along better and have actually civil discussions about their disagreements rather than vitriol and anger? You know, I think back to a convening that we had of national leaders almost five years ago now. It was called, though many won, going back to scriptural references here, though many won, it was about overcoming polarization. And my colleague, John Carr here, the founder of the initiative 10 years ago, um, and my colleague here today as well, comes from a different side of the church, part of the church family, I would say, than I do. I think he would be seen as center left. I think because of my background in religious liberty and pro-life work, I would be seen as center right. And we came together at that time to say, how can we bring our respective friends and allies and colleagues together 
to have a conversation across division, to try to respond to the polarization we see in public life and that we see in our church today. We brought a hundred Catholic leaders from universities, from ministries, from uh, various lay groups, religious as well, together to have precisely this conversation. And I'll tell you what helped us have a wonderful conversation. John Allen, the, the leading Vatican uh, journalist, called it the most important conversation over polarization that's happened since Vatican II. And what helped us have those kinds of difficult conversations was first of all, rooting it in the sacraments. So over the course of our time together, we made sure to keep the sacraments closed. We made sure to start with mass to have confession available because we know that Catholics, what we agree on is the importance of the sacraments, the importance of the Eucharist, the importance of forgiveness. And the second thing was a focus in our conversations about how we can serve the poor and vulnerable. Sister Norma Pimentel, who is the head of Catholic Charities in Brownsville, Texas, and so deals with the poor and vulnerable every single day, said something that I thought was remarkable. She said that there is no polarization at the border. Well, you and I both know that one of the most polarizing conversations we can have today is about immigration and how we respond. Oh, yeah. Right. And she said, you know, at the border, I work with Border Patrol, I work with Customs and Border Enforcement every day when we come across somebody who is in a vulnerable situation, because we want to serve those in need directly. So I think that that her point is focusing on how we can serve those who are in need right in front of us is the best way to overcome this division. Focus locally, focus in your parish. What can we do to serve in our families and our parishes and our neighborhood, those in need? Think globally, act locally. Exactly. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk a little uh, about the upcoming 10th anniversary of the pontificate of Pope Francis. The initiative hosted a public dialogue to mark the occasion. Now, for our listeners, you and I are actually talking before that happens, but we're going to broadcast this after it. But I want to get your take on what that anniversary means. What's been the biggest impact that Pope Francis has had so far? You know, I want to go back to the beginning. I had the great good fortune of being in St. Peter's Square when Pope Francis was elected. First of all, just a remarkable night. And it was a remarkable time sort of leading up to that because you saw the global church in action, right? St. Peter's Square was filled with people from around the world there to pray and to celebrate our new Pope, the fact that we were a global church, the fact that we could all come together in this moment of unity. And when that white smoke went up, People started filling the square from all over Rome. People who weren't Catholic or weren't practicing Catholic started, you could see, streaming in from every street to fill that square. And it was this joyful, very wonderful moment. And then Pope Francis comes out, right? He comes out on that balcony. And it was, again, this wonderful moment where everybody's cheering. And then something remarkable happens. He asks us to pray for him as the Bishop of Rome. And it was a moment of remarkable humility, I will say. It was a moment where we heard a pin drop, this raucous, noisy, cheering crowd went from that kind of joyful noise to the joy of this moment of silence and humility. You could hear a pin drop. You could hear the water in the fountains. And I think it was that shift from placing the attention on lay people, from placing attention on the people of God, the holy, faithful people of God, from placing attention on a church in service that I think is the most remarkable shift in perspective. And again, that, that's not a change. We've always been a church of service. We've always wanted to have that view. But I think that's been a focus of Pope Francis from the beginning. And we see it here today, a focus on bringing lay people into the conversation, a focus on service, right? So service to the poor and vulnerable, focus on solidarity and mercy and encounter. 
And you are working with some of those very issues with the Synod on Synodality, which is coming up. The The process started in late 2021, where a number of initiatives to start dioceses around the world listening, but that will culminate in 2024 as all of that comes together. In your experience, how do you see the Holy Spirit working within the church on that process? How do you think Pope Francis's uh, sensibility about the church affects that? And what do you think the synod will accomplish? First of all, I think there's been a lot of confusion around the synod. And and because it's a new thing, it's a big thing. Um, and it's it's something really unprecedented in many ways, although also rooted in, in tradition. So let me just describe it a little bit first. It's a global listening process open to everyone and aimed at renewing our ability to live out our mission in our own particular times and places. And as we know, that mission is centered most of all on humble service, as Pope Francis says, to those lying wounded by the roadside. So you mentioned earlier, Chris, about local action and a global vision. And I think that is what the Synod is all about. The first listening sessions happen in parishes and dioceses around the world. And it's been really a remarkable and unprecedented amount of participation. We hear sometimes that it's, you know, sort of low participation. But my question to that is always compared to what? I mean, there's never been a consultation of this scale. But in the Archdiocese of Baltimore, there were thousands and thousands of people who were participated in those sessions. Exactly. And where have we seen that kind of consultation and listening and participation before? We've never seen it. We hope it grows. It will continue. But I know, for instance, in my parish, I had this wonderful experience of being in these listening sessions. And, you know, someone, we have a, I have a wonderful parish. It's been a home for our family for almost 25 years. Our kids have gone through the school. Um, these are my neighbors, my friends. And in many ways, I think we're often self congratulatory about that. And we had in the listening session, someone, we were doing a little bit of the happy talk around how much we love our school and our parish and all that. And then somebody said a hard thing. You know, somebody's challenged that. Uh, and, and I thought it was, someone said, you know, I'm not a member of the school. I'm not part of the school. Um, and I feel sometimes that I can't break into this group. And it's it's something that we've heard before. And I think it's something that was really important to break open what became a really important conversation about how we are more welcoming to our neighbors, how we do serve our community, how we're welcoming to not just our neighbors, but those who are in our parish, right? And and that was an important conversation that was precisely about participation and mission and communion, which is the goal of the Global Synod. That's what I see. Those kinds of changes are really at the heart of what the Synod is about. But most of all, I think taking that from that local space to the Global Vision it's about saying, how do we be a more welcoming church? How do we live out our mission best in our time and our place? And not just in that local parish, in that local school, but also in larger dioceses and in the world, the global church. Exactly. And I think when I think about an issue, a larger issue that I hope the Synod helps quite a bit, it's responses to the abuse crisis. You know, we feel that as American Catholics, as just this, we're angry, we're continually, we're continuing to be anguished at this incredible crime at the scale of which is just enormous. And that's happened over decades now. Mm -hmm. And we've had various responses from the church and we're moving forward on it. And at the same time, the synod is a place where we can think as lay people about how we can contribute to responding to what is a church-wide issue. So that's one example. There are many other examples. How do we best serve the poor and vulnerable? Um, how do we live into our mission as a global church? And let me just say one thing about that, because I think it's another theme of Pope Francis. And it's something that I 
really realized that night in St. Peter's Square, right, in a way that I hadn't before. John McGreevy, one of the great historians of the church, says that we are the most multicultural, multilingual institution in the world, the Catholic Church. We've gone from a church mostly centered in Europe at the beginning of the 20th century, 250 million people, to a church of 1.4 billion people around the world. How do we live out that reality? As U.S. Catholics, 6% of that global church, how do we contribute best to that? I think that's an important question. And that's some of the work that you're doing at the Initiative on Catholic Social Thought and Public Life. We have just a few minutes before we end, but tell us a little bit about some of the programs you've got coming up and how people can get more information on the Initiative on Catholic Social Thought and Public Life at Georgetown University. Sure. Thanks, Chris. We have, so as you mentioned, we've we've had a dialogue to celebrate 10 years of Pope Francis anniversary with um, Cardinal Wilton Gregory of the Archdiocese of Washington, E.J. Dion of the Washington Post, the Brookings Institution, and Georgetown, Sister Norma Pimentel, who I mentioned earlier, um, Catholic Charities in Texas, and Helen Alvarez, one of the leading pro-life Catholics, I think, of the last decades, uh, to talk about Pope Francis. Some great thinkers there. Yeah, it is a remarkable conversation in here in Dahlgren Chapel at Georgetown and live streamed. But then we have on the actual anniversary of Pope Francis' election on March, March 13th, we're going to have one of his closest collaborators, Cardinal Cherney, here in conversation about just what we were talking about, the global vision of Pope Francis and how we bring principles of Catholic social thought to public life in that global church that we live in. We're also going to have conversations for young people around the dignity of work um, and our salt and light gatherings, which focuses again on young Catholics um, sort of in that professional stage and that stage of their life um, right after college and maybe before they hit 40 or so, right? When they're thinking, how do I sort of live out my vocation as a Catholic? We're going to talk about what work means today in this post-COVID or world and, and in this world of, of flexible work and uh, mobile work and all the rest. Um, we're also going to have a conversation with Latino leaders, young Latino leaders, on the problems that we face with issues of migration. So lots of great conversations coming up. Um, you can find all that information at our website uh, at Georgetown. It's the Initiative on Catholic Social Thought and Public Life. Um, and we look forward to, to everyone participating. All are welcome. So they go to georgetown.edu and search for the, for the initiative? Yes, georgetown.edu, Initiative on Catholic Social Thought. Well, we have been talking today with Kim Daniels, who is Director of the Initiative on Catholic Social Thought and Public Life at Georgetown University, about Catholics and public life and Pope Francis. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Chris. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Review Radio. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.